And, and I think that's uh, also another kind of statement for, for, for other entrepreneurs is to, to really understand the impact journey of the product and, and of the company, just as much as you would look at a, a business model or, you know, kind of a, you know, your, your IP strategy. And, and that's, I think, going to be a growing importance for this, you know, kind of next chapter of entrepreneurship. Welcome to Clean Tech Forward, a foresight podcast where we explore clean tech customers, capital, and Canada's path to net zero. Tune in to learn more about Canada's most exciting clean tech startups, industry success stories, investor insights, and academic initiatives as we accelerate the growth and impact of clean tech together. Welcome to Clean Tech Forward. I'm Jeanette Jackson, CEO of Foresight Canada. This week, Sean Hazaray, CEO and co-founder of Hayes Automotive, joins us to discuss his environmentally friendly carbon fiber manufacturing process, how these materials can increase safety and lower greenhouse gas emissions for electric vehicles, and how Canadian accelerators like Foresight and Climate Ventures Accelerate From Anywhere program have helped him in his entrepreneurial journey. This Clean Tech Forward podcast is supported by Gowling WLG, a global leader in intellectual property law Gowling WLG works alongside Canadian clean tech companies to develop IP strategies that maximize business opportunities and increase market share while protecting valuable innovation. From idea to investment to international expansion, Gowling WLG understands the potential of your intellectual property at every stage of growth. Visit GowlingWLG.com backslash clean tech to learn how they can support your business today. Sean, welcome to the show. Well, uh, first off, thank you so much for having having me on here. It's just an honor to be here, and I'm really excited to share a little bit about our journey and uh, and how uh, we could support the path of other entrepreneurs. So, Sean, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, you know, my path to entrepreneurship came. I was actually more on the business side, and uh, just had a. I, I still love technology, kind of off the side of my desk, but I'm more on the business side. How did you sort of peek through and and become an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I always wanted to be um, working in cars and automotive. Uh, went to a um, you know university that's uh, very close to the big three, uh, the, the Ford, GM, and Chrysler, and and was automotive engineer by trade, um, and worked in R and D for automotive pretty much the bulk of my career for a number of car companies from. From, from Subaru to Porsche. So always been an entrepreneur um, working on these type of companies and, and working on innovations and bringing in outside innovation to these, um, you know, kind of multinational car companies. Uh, but this was the first kind of jump uh, for me to go, you know, full-fledged into entrepreneurship. And it's, it's certainly been a journey, but it's been so exciting just to be on, on the other side, understanding the whole frame of it and really having, you know, the control of the destiny, if you will, um, within our hands. Yeah, that's what I felt too. I, uh, I remember finishing my degree and again, having a bit of an entrepreneurial inkling and I stepped out the doors of that university and I thought, I thought to myself, wow, I, I really don't know anything. Like I've done all these courses, uh, and I had a vision for getting, you know, into the more entrepreneurial side of business, but where do you start? And I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? You just pick a point and think, okay, this is the business I'm going to try. Let's, let's make a go at it. Yeah, that's absolutely. And I, I get into these little, um, call it rabbit holes of, of innovations, or I'm just, you know, looking at e-commerce three years ago and trying to understand it and, and going into the next thing. So it's, uh, sometimes it, it just kind of carries you like the wind and, uh, you just kind of, uh, get swept, uh, swept away from that. So what kind of an engineering background do you have? Are you chemical, electrical? 
mechanical. Yeah. So um, by trade, I'm a mechanical engineer, uh, which is which is great because it's kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. You, you kind of are going into the engineering buffet and trying a little bit of a sampling of, of uh, you know, chemical engineering, electrical engineering. And then throughout my career, I was predominantly software engineering. So um, completely different focus on uh, on it, but looking at software, uh, EE architecture, um, and then also material science. So kind of a kind of a great breadth overall, but it, it's been exciting because there's a lot of parallels between uh, electronics, material science, and that's really the when you look at Hayes, kind of the focus of what we've been been up to. Yeah, um, you might find this funny, but uh, I too, again, not on the engineering side, but learned enough in my way to to speak the speak. Uh, in one of my ventures, we actually made our own semiconductors, and at the time, I was evaluating, you know how the advanced materials in semiconductors were evolving and how much capacity for information and the reality of what they were fitting in terms of processing power into just small space. So it's just such an an incredible engineering for me. It's super fascinating. And I, again, it's not my, uh, my degree, but hopefully, you know, having the opportunity to support and work with so many innovators and entrepreneurs, you know, we get the opportunity to learn um, so many facets of the engineering side of, of businesses. So I'm a car person, I have a 1966 Ford Bronco that I am pretty proud of. Um, I kind of look, look at that as more of a reduce, reuse, recycle model. Um, it's pretty much all original. And uh, I do love obviously beating around in it on a sunny day with the roof off. Um, but I also drive an electric car and I, I've moved into the Audi e-tron. Um, I'm pretty happy with the performance of the car. Uh, It's certainly a lifestyle adjustment, um, but I still, quite frankly, do see a lot of opportunity to see how the EV community evolves um, from a manufacturing perspective, from a weight perspective, from a capacity perspective. How do we get these vehicles to take us the distance when we think about a a full global transition to, to net zero vehicles? So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you got into this, you know, specific business uh, and a little bit about the technology that you're working on to transform this sector. Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite, quite amazing. I had my first really big break at Subaru, um, and that's actually what I drive right now. I still I love Subarus. Um, worked at worked in their R and D facility, and it was more on software for for the cars, so the infotainment, the connected car, the experience, the navigation system. And it, it, over the past 15 years, uh, the the screens inside the car have kind of turned into the brains of the car in some regards and have become, become more and more powerful. Um, and then I had this inkling in 2016 to see, you know, hey, the EV movement is, is happening. You know, Tesla, of course, is a big, a big power. And so I went to uh, actually Tesla's biggest competitor about 10 years ago. It was called Fisker. And it was a big rivalry between Tesla and Fisker. Uh, Fisker went bankrupt in 2013 and then reemerged as Karma Automotive. And it's a beautiful um, kind of four-door sports car. Uh, that's, um, you know, made in Southern California, but then sold all across uh, U.S. and Canada with dealerships in, in, in Waterloo and Vancouver. Um, and that was incredible because it was a blank sheet for an electric vehicle. So just to learn, you know, how do you start to get consumers uh, accepting of, of this vehicle going in the high-end market, but really starting to trickle it down to, to mass market and uh, that was in, in 2016. And then to see this, the, the, the complete rise of EVs over the past few years. And what's amazing is that we had access to a lot of great data, um, one from Bloomberg New Energy Finance, uh, that basically stated that EVs were you know, a fraction percent then, 
Uh, 6% of, of new vehicles purchased today is, is electric vehicles. But by 2040, 65% of vehicles sold in the U.S. and Canada will be electric. So two out of three cars. And, and that's that's a just a really exciting you know kind of um, wave to ride, if you will, to see how do you get consumers to adopt to this? What are some of the challenges like infrastructure and the heaviness and the weight of EVs? And how can we combat that with new technologies? We've had so many different companies come through Foresight uh, nationally that are working on things like infrastructure. You know, how do you get charging stations in stratas? How do you, you know, without the costs, how do you um, monetize on some of that while also thinking, you know, for the greater good, at the end of the day, we need to get this charging infrastructure in place. And certain communities certainly have less than more charging infrastructure. I still find myself in lineups um, I do live in a in a stratified building, so it's not it's not easy to get your own infrastructure in place. And then we get into the cars themselves, right? I, you know, in sort of learning more about what you're up to at Hayes, you're all about reducing the cost of carbon fiber by ninety percent. You know, using some advanced manufacturing techniques, it's more environmentally friendly. It's going to have other significant impacts on the capabilities of these vehicles, why don't you walk us through a little bit about your technology and, you know, how you expect the implementation of your technology across the sector to impact automotive? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, when you look at uh, the whole global market for, um, for, for passenger vehicles, there are 65 million vehicles sold each year, you know, roughly 15 million in the U.S., you know, um, and, and a similar number in, 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 in Europe. Um, but predominantly, all of them are steel and aluminum vehicles. Um, only 400,000, roughly speaking, is, is is made from carbon fiber as as a as a solution. And carbon fiber, it, it really got its prominence in the 1960s from you know a lot of the aerospace aviation um, kind of kind of adaptments for you know kind of um, uh, for space missiles and 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 kind of higher end technologies. But it hasn't really translated into vehicles um, really until the 80s. Um, and, and so that that was um, really starting off with race cars and really hyper cars and high-end cars. But it's a way safer technology. It's a lot lighter. It's better fuel economy. So the question that we've been always wondering as car guys is why hasn't it been only reserved for higher-end cars? Why can't it go into into uh, cheaper vehicles and uh, in your mass market EVs. Why, why is it when you look across the parking lot, it's all steel or aluminum vehicles and none of them are carbon fiber. And, and so when we kind of looked at that problem, it, it, we kind of realized it's, it's really the labor cost that's really uh, driving the, the cost of it. Uh, making carbon fiber right now is still very labor intensive. It's kind of like a, think of it like a, uh, like a shoe cobbler in some regards, a very old school crafted type of technology um, that's that's kind of more of a has this artisan type of feel, um, which is you know great for quality, but also kind of not great for scaling. Uh, but then when you start to look at some new novel manufacturing techniques, kind of like 3D printing, but also um, advanced stamping, you know, kind of technology from from aerospace and aviation, and you say, well, what if we could take all of that and apply it to carbon fiber? Could we get the labor cost to be much more competitive with some of the you know kind of current material technologies like aluminum and steel um, in the market? And that's really the thesis that our uh, our company um, is is following. We think that there's a huge market, huge opportunity to really take carbon fiber and not just scale it for premium luxury vehicles, but really to bring it down so your your average uh, you know Lexus has the ability with with uh, to to have a lighter safer vehicle frame. 
that's a great segue into sort of where I want to take this conversation next. I mean, you've got this new technology. Uh, there's an opportunity to improve both safety and the environmental implications. How do you measure and track and quantify that for your story at Have? Yeah. So for, um, you know, when you look at the the impact, and this is actually something that was really helpful from, from you know, being a part of Climate Ventures and Earth Tech Accelerator. And uh, the first the first thing we had to do when we when we started to work with the team is uh, really understand what's the baseline and what are we comparing ourselves to? Um, and for, for us, when you look at uh, automotive, the, the baseline really is steel and aluminum and mostly aluminum. Aluminum is, is kind of pegged to be this greener technology, this, this, you know, improvements that's lighter. And in my previous company, we've kind of noticed that some of these uh, measurements were a little bit uh, misleading. Um, you know, aluminum is certainly lighter than, than steel, but it's not as stiff. And so you had to use more aluminum for the applications if you wanted a, you know, a better performance vehicle. So that was the first thing was just to say, hey, what's the what's the impact between you know this material X and this material Y, and how does it how does it compare between between each other? Uh, and then the second thing was really to start to work with some great experts on uh, life cycle analysis that that had a stronger understanding of how do you measure this apples and oranges of, of of materials. So we worked with the university. UC Irvine has been also very instrumental, and in, and in for us to kind of dig a little bit deeper and to measure this type of um, this type of of, of, of setup. Um, and, and we learned a, a lot. We learned that although aluminum is more carbon um, has an increase in has lower uh, greenhouse gas emissions than carbon fiber. Uh, there's a huge amount of opportunities for carbon fiber to catch up, especially if it's focused on newer manufacturing techniques and and ways to control the supply chain. A lot of carbon fiber today is is manufactured in the same ways that it has been done since the 1960s, since the space race. And so uh, by kind of working with the supply chain to say, hey, you know, actually impact is really, really important for uh, not only for our customers, but also for, uh, you know, the benefits for, for the environment. Uh, there's ways to kind of lower the greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the second was finding a different source of carbon fiber. Uh, now, normally carbon fiber is sourced from Japan and the U.S. And those are predominantly, um, you know, strong areas of focus. But we've actually started to work with uh, some specialized research groups in Alberta, um, and specifically Alberta Innovates, that's done an incredible job of looking at uh, the Alberta oil sands and saying, hey, could we actually take this material uh, that's not being used for anything um, and, and convert it into a high quality automotive grade carbon fiber? And so by working with the research scientists, we, we were also able to figure out that this could be a lot lower greenhouse gas emissions, and then most importantly, also a lot lower price. And, and that that was all from, you know, kind of going through this this uh, this process with with uh, Climate Ventures to really understand the impact and, and identifying some opportunities to really uh, improve the impact for, for our cause. Yeah, well, I certainly have some biases here uh, when it comes to the role that accelerators and other ecosystem players can help to support, you know, people like you, you have a vision, you've found a technology, and now it's how can we help you accelerate through the technology readiness levels from, from the idea to mass commercialization as quickly as possible. And I think uh, in addition to the accelerator, I, I love that you're really leaning in on some of the academic institutions, the research institutions, because I think there's a lot of validation and support that's required to make sure that the technology is going to work 
there's always new ideas to incorporate into the technology and product roadmaps as you're figuring out, like you said, like feedstock, okay, where are we going to get the, the best supply? Is there something out there that's currently waste that we can turn into a high value product? Uh, and I think in, in Canada, sometimes we haven't done enough of that because we're quite uh, flush with resources. We have a lot of water. We have a lot of, you know, obviously forestry is a big sector. Um, so I think from a, a outside looking in, you know, people look at Canada as having this big opportunity from a resource sector, but there's no need for us not to be able to think about the real value add, the real value chain opportunities to turn any uh, waste materials, um, maybe even carry, you know, through the production process of any product through further as opposed to exporting materials raw. So I love that you've leaned in on that and incorporated that into your story and, and the technology that you're developing. When we think about uh, Climate Ventures, I also understand that you have engaged a few other accelerators. We've got the Canadian Technology Accelerator and the Alchemist. How have those experiences been? Uh, they've been absolutely incredible. And um, especially Alchemist has been really helpful for us. You know, we're, we're first-time founders. And so just to understand the, the framework of how do you fundraise successfully um, and to how to... Um, how do you kind of build the, the right business application and structures for, for the technology? Um, and then also, you know, the, the trade commissioners uh, for Canada have been just so, so helpful in us kind of building relationships with some of the German automakers, the, uh, the, the Japanese automakers. Um, and and um, it, it's really kind of a, it takes such a, uh, a village to, to build a startup in, in many ways. And, and, and we've uh, just have so much thankfulness for all the, all the mentors that have kind of helped us get to this point and are helping us in this next, next, uh, this next step of the journey. If you were to give some advice to another startup, just starting out, I mean, you've been sort of looking in and navigating your path for a little while now, what advice would you give to a first time founder who's following in your footsteps? Yeah, you know, there was a, we had a lot of good mentors that gave us some early feedback and um, early uh, advice uh, at the at the beginning. And there's actually two really good books that I, I thought were really really helpful for me to kind of dive into towards it. Uh, one was the the Secret of Sand Hills um, and um, a book called The Hard Things About Hard Things from Ben Horowitz, who's uh, you know a um, a partner at a major uh, VC in, in, in Silicon Valley, and, and it kind of gave a great framework of um, the what just the how to raise funds successfully, um, but then also just kind of what is startup you know culture like, and some of the some of the good, but also some of the bad and the ugly as well. That that's kind of also not 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 a, not explicit. Um, you know, one thing that I've really been I think uh, lucked on on is just the, our timing of when we started this company, and YouTube has been a huge resource. Um, you you know, for for us in terms of understanding and, and diving into um, kind of uh, topics, and then kind of lastly, um, we were um, when you look at the market for for EVs and working with automotive companies. Not a lot of automotive companies, I would say, are progressive on their impact reporting and their ESG measurements. But we had this hunch that it was going to be, become more and more important over, over the next couple of years. And um, we w went head down, kind of took this risk and, and tried to get as much um, understood from our impact journey and storyline. And you know, kind of now in in, in retrospect, uh, we're now talking with um, a, a couple of major automakers, 
and our hypothesis has been validated. They they've really are taking ESG and impact much much more seriously today than they were a year ago, and certainly where they were before the pandemic. And and I think that's uh, also another kind of statement for for further entrepreneurs is to to really understand the impact journey of the product and and of the company just as much as you would look at a, a business model or you know kind of a, you know your your IP strategy. And and that's I think going to be a growing importance for this you know kind of next chapter of entrepreneurship. Where do we see Hayes three, five, ten years from now? Yeah, you know, you know, our our passion really started off on the racetracks for for automotive, and I think it will continue to accelerate on the racetracks for automotive. You know, we're we're just so enthusiastic about vehicles, um, and, and not just uh, not purely just electric vehicles, but also kind of looking, you know, even beyond it of, of hydrogen vehicles and other alternative kind of new energy type of vehicles. So, you know, we think that there's uh, a natural tech transfer that happens on the racetrack that can progress to your everyday average vehicle that is your you know, commuter vehicle. And we, we loved that we're, we're able to be in both fields of being able to see all this really exciting new technology that can be tested on these one-offs and then really start to um, kind of be able to pull it into into um, uh, into your your average day vehicle for, for for mom and dad. Nothing gets me more excited than advanced materials. I think whether it's in packaging, um, whether it's tech, deep technology, core technology, all the way into all the molecules that make up everything that we see and use. Um, I think you're on an incredible path, and we're so honored to be here to support and encourage you along your journey. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. And uh, perhaps we'll have you on here again soon on your next update. Congratulations. Thank you again for having me. This has been such such an honor and delight. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share this episode and subscribe to Clean Tech Forward wherever you listen. We'll be back next time with Miriam Awara, the COO of Pulsenix, to discuss how they are creating efficiencies in electrochemical processes with their unique technology. See you there. To learn more about Foresight's programs, events, and more, visit us at foresightcac.com or follow us on social at foresightcac.com.